very much. I really appreciate it this morning um, and the leadership of our worship team. Really, really appreciate that. This morning, we continue to worship under God's word, um, just like Adam said. And so if you have a Bible, would you locate the book of John, chapter 13? And if you're using one of the black little country Bible Bibles uh, that are on the row with you, that's page 900. Page 900. It's graduation season, and I heard uh, an interesting part of a graduation speech, graduation, uh, yeah, speech that I'd, I had not heard before, the advice to graduate. So if you're a graduate in the room, let's say that, uh, yeah, there may be one, um, or if you have grandkids or kids that are graduating, just listen to this uh, piece of graduation advice. There are decisions that graduates, that graduates, especially high school graduates, will make um, in the coming months that will profoundly affect the rest of their lives. All of our decisions have certain levels of significance to them. Some big decisions have huge significance, but so do some what we see as smaller decisions, smaller choices that we make. Some of those have also powerful profound effects on the rest of our lives. And so one of the most important pieces of advice for graduates involves something that will happen in the next few months. So many of the really big decisions have already been made for many high school graduates. They've already decided if they're going to college and where. Um, usually they've already decided what major they will take or what kind of things they will start to study. Uh, they may even already have decided uh, who's going to be their roommate or kind of where they're going to live, what, what's going to happen there. And if you have the opportunity to pass on one often overlooked piece of advice to a high school graduate, Make sure to impress on them that in the next few months, as they settle into wherever they're going to live, and they encounter their first Sunday morning, the choice they will make, do I go to church or not? Do I go to church or not? It will have profound impact on the rest of their life, statistically. Now, many people who miss that first Sunday away at school eventually end up coming back into church. Great. But for the most part, that first Sunday matters. So, advice to graduates, set your alarm clock. Figure out where you're going to go, who you're going to hop a ride with to church, and go to church your first Sunday at university or college. Oftentimes, oftentimes, we are well-intentioned people, but our habits have a way of forming and dragging us away from things that we once held dear and important. So yes, 
As a young adult, we can say to ourselves, I'm a Christian, I grew up in church, I grew up in a godly home. But often good things are set aside for the convenience of the moment. And we may even be intended to get involved with other good things like campus ministries, like RUF or crew or navigators or campus outreach, inner varsity, all good. And again, if you have a chance to bend a high school graduate's ear, encourage them to get involved with that stuff. Get involved with good college outreach groups. But once again, there is something about leaning into a local church that profoundly shapes your life. It's a, it's a marker of things to come for most people. Now, don't get me wrong. You can go to church your whole life. Growing up, high school, college, adulthood. You can go to church your whole life and be barely a Christian or not a Christian at all. But you will never be a good, growing Christian and not attend a local church. It won't happen. And I don't mean graduates, I don't mean brushing your teeth while you watch a live stream on your phone. That's not going to church. I mean, actually doing the hard work of taking a shower, getting some clothes on, hopping a ride, and showing up at a local church. This is a pointer to some profound character qualities that mark being a follower of Jesus. Being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, means that we do hard things. And really, going to church is a minimally hard thing. It's a small inconvenience. But oftentimes, now for the rest of us who are not graduates, oftentimes the mindset that can subtly take over is, as long as it fits into my life, I will do the hard things that Christ requires. As long as it continues to fit into my identity or continues to help me or makes me happy. I don't intend to, as a young adult, join the anti-Jesus club. But as long as it's convenient or it fits in or makes me happy or XYZ product. And while that's not terrible, it's light years away from take up your cross and follow me. 
light years. We must be a people who follow our Lord Jesus and lay our lives down in following him and setting a pattern for our lives. Unless a seed falls to the ground, John 12, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it bears fruit. Now, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that little piece of really uncommon advice to graduates. Go to church your first Sunday. But lest you missed the forest for the trees, let me go back for just a little bit and pick up on a piece of that that you may have overlooked. Why is being involved in a local church something better and different than joining a campus ministry? After all, a campus ministry is like a good youth group. It's people who are of a similar age, similar stage, similar things going on in our lives. We've got so much in common. Our ability to relate to each other is profound. Those kind of groups are good. I am not downing them. And they're easy to get attracted to and involved in. A good children's ministry is attractive. A good youth ministry is attractive. If you're a single mom and you get to join a Bible study of other single moms, there is something wonderful about like attracting like. They just kind of know what I'm going through. They speak my same language. If any of those like attracting like things characterize the core of your Christian community, that's not good. If any of those like attracting like things characterize the core of your Christian community, that's not good. I don't mean that's not good enough. I mean, we're well-intentionally subverting and undermining the power and purpose of what God intends to do through the gathering of a local church. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 13. Let's start reading together in verse 31. One of the wonderful things about this passage, um, and I just want to encourage you, if you, if you went through the Easter season and didn't get to spend time in these back chapters of the Gospel of John, boy, there is just some really, 
really rich and powerful content here. This is, this is the night before... Um, this is the night before the Lord is to be crucified, and he brings his disciples up into the upper room, and chapter 13 begins with him washing their feet, and he will say some profound and very uh, encouraging and necessary things from chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, his high priestly prayer, and into 18, where he's arrested. So I just want to encourage you to spend some time in these chapters. John slows down, and some of our favorite things in the Bible are said this night before the cross. One of them is this focus here in verse 31, chapter 13, verse 31. When he had gone out, this is Judas, who after taking the Passover meal or the Lord's Supper, has gone out to betray the Lord Jesus. So verse 31, after he had left, after he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man, that's favorite biblical term for Jesus, for himself, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God, God the Father, is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also... Glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Notice the Christ centered approach to all these things. Even his death and resurrection is a profound instrument of glorifying God and the Lord Christ. Verse 33 Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, he means the unbelieving Jewish leaders who are opposed to him, just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going to the cross, and he will ascend to the Father. Verse 34, so in light of this God-glorifying focus and a life sacrificing, lay down my life to save a people for himself. Jesus says, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word together. And we ask that in the name of Christ our Savior, that you would help us to understand the text and its meaning and its bearing and its hope and continue to make and remake uh, our lives together in light of this text and texts like it. And we pray that more and more we would be a community marked by the power of God in our midst. And so we ask for probably bigger things than we even know what we're asking for. But we ask you for it, especially if it would be a glory to your name 
and especially if it be a light to your people, a, an encouragement to your people. And so help us to concentrate, help us to understand, and inflame our hearts with the light of grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so much I would like to say, but I'm going to zero in for the few minutes we have left on just the last set of verses there. And I want you to just, especially if you have some familiarity with the Bible, I want you to think about that phrase at the end of verse 34, one another, and ask yourself, who's in this room in chapter 13? Who makes up the crowd of people Jesus is talking to when he says, love for one another? We know from other texts it'll be probably 120 people. But even if we just zeroed in on the 12, minus Judas, those 12 apostles, that core group, just think of who makes up that group. What does a fisherman, just a, a common day laborer, blue-collar guy, works his job day in, day out, lives from one catch to the next, have in common with Matthew the tax collector. You ever seen The Chosen? And how really messed up this group of guys are? The hated Matthew Levi the tax collector who gathered exorbitant taxes from the fishermen to give to the hated Roman overlords. Or you have the fishermen in their little workaday quiet rebellion and Matthew, and then you have Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas the zealot. Like, it's weird, like, in The Chosen, like, this guy seems to be trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's, it's kind of funny. We want to put a martial arts scene into The Chosen, so we're going to throw in Judas, not Iscariot. I thought that was interesting. So a guy who is trained to take down and subvert the Roman government and his whole community that he resonates most deeply is a community of rebellion, the zealots. Love for one another. People who have absolutely nothing in common. Some are married, some are single. Some are older, some are younger. John, a writer, the beloved disciple, is treated like a kid brother of the group. They have almost nothing in common but Jesus himself. And so, what is it? What is this characteristic that's going to mark out his people? 
their generosity to the poor, their knowledge of the scriptures. All good things that are not to be minimized. He said the thing that's going to mark you out is the love you have for one another. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you loved one another. Where are they going to get that kind of love for one another that's absolutely alien to their inner clock? Nobody else around them has that kind of cross-grouping love for one another. Notice his answer. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The kind of profound, cross the borderline, talk to the Samaritans, the hated group, lay down my life for a people who are steeped in rebellion against God, The Lord Jesus says, I have come into the world as a person who loves the villains and lay down his life for his enemies to rescue them from the just wrath of God and to call them out from their various crowds and groupings into a group that is made up primarily and founded on and marked primarily on the gospel. His love, his self-sacrificing love for them. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And why? Why? Now, before we answer that question of why, I want to take just a step away from the text from just a minute. This is a, a little uncomfortable for us as your pastor teachers. Normally, we'd be in a book of the Bible, working our way from chapter to chapter, text to text, and unfolding its message. That's so much more preferred. But as we as a church family round the bend into putting feet to our purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ Jesus, Colossians 1.28. And as we widen our scope on who is everyone, who is the everyone that we are endeavoring to present mature or complete in Christ Jesus. We widen the circle outside this gathering and say, wherever people are that need to hear the gospels, we will go so that we can labor among them and bring them to faith in Christ Jesus and grow them up in that faith and present them as mature disciples of Christ Jesus to present everyone complete or mature in Christ. 
We will part company with people that we have loved for years so that we can make two groups of churches where the gospel is central among us. Two gatherings of believers where the gospel is central among us. And we lay down our preferences so that two groups can be planted to where something profound will happen when the love that Christ has shown to us is radiated back and forth to one another. So we're, we're taking a few, minute, few weeks to talk about what makes a community of believers compelling. And we are well-versed in a kind of community that says we love Jesus and we love the gospel, but we also have this in common. We call it gospel plus communities. I love my community group. We're all young adults with kids in elementary school. I love my community group. We all know our way around a tractor. Gospel plus communities. The gospel in addition to something else that magnetizes us together. I'm gonna, I want you to hear this with compassion and not Judgment. Do I need to say that again? I want you to hear what I'm about to say with compassion and not judgment. I totally get why gospel plus communities are attractive. When I was a regular part of the worship team, we had the gospel and our love for music in common, and there was a kind of gel of just doing ministry and life together over and over. I totally get it. It's not wrong. It just can't be the core. Do I need to say that again? It's not wrong. It just can't be the core. Because one of the unintended consequences, even if you just want to think practically and not theologically for just a second, we are reaping some of the unintended practical consequences. There are people who no longer attend our church family because they're homebound. If I mentioned their names, you would love them and know them. But because their deepest community was with people in the same life situation as them, they all grew old together and became homebound together. And they're all alone because they can't get to each other. And they're not deeply connected to anybody else in the church family. There is a practical, unintended, negative consequence for having your besties in the church be people who are just like you. 
theologically, it undermines the power of what only the church can be. Theologically, it undermines the power of what only the church can be. Notice verse 35. By this, by this gospel love that Christ has shown sinners like me, radiating to one another, people who are not like me in so many ways, by this, all people will know that you are connected to me. You are my disciples if you have love for one another. It has a profound evangelistic impact. Any other kind of community, gospel plus something else, is totally explained. If they didn't have Jesus in common, they have a love for classic cars in common, they would still get together. If they didn't have Jesus in common, they still have a love for being in high school together. Fill in the blank. If they didn't have Jesus, they still would have this. That totally makes sense. Jesus, take it or leave it. These people would still hang out together because they have this other thing in common, profoundly. The gospel shines stunningly bright when people who have almost nothing else in common but Christ build their lives together. And if you ask me, Pastor Dean, why are we church planting It's not mainly because we're in two services and need to make some space. It's because, by God's grace, let's grow towards being a godly, biblical community and let's multiply those throughout the region. A people who sacrifice convenience and lean into doing harder things because of a love that's been showed to them and they are purposely moving towards people who are not like them but also have Christ in common. It's not easy. It's hard. It's inconvenient. It was just reality check. It's inconvenient. But we've heard the call of their Savior who led by example, and more than that, his doing has rescued us, and we lean into each other as fellow people who've been rescued by. Like, for all the other things that we have or don't have in common, we have the biggest component in the universe in common together rescued by the savior jesus christ and we're trying to figure the rest out like let's just be honest when your pastor doesn't know what a john deere is that's pretty bad you've given me lots of grace over the last decade when all I can do is open my hood and go, yep, there's oil in the car. Like, you've given me a lot of grace over the decade. We don't have a lot in common except him. And you have been a beacon of grace. And I'm saying, 
Let's multiply this out. Let's clarify the kind of community that God is calling us to be more and more and more. Less of the gospel plus something else. Not, it's, not this is terrible. Don't ever be in a youth group. Don't ever be in a college ministry. Don't ever be in a retired group. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. That has value and benefit and its place. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's lean into the other kind of community, not gospel plus, but gospel revealing. So that as we look at each other and God's work among us and people rub shoulders with us, the only thing that explains our bond is the gospel. We're revealing the gospel. The one who laid down his life and his preferences and his convenience to love and rescue us, we are radiating that same life laying down, preference laying down, convenience defying love back to one another and all we have in common is Christ. We want to lean into being more a gospel revealing community. Now the the great thing about this is God is not calling us to do something that he is not walking with us in the doing. He is not, as it were, sitting back on his throne and saying, come on, y'all. Do I got to guilt you into this? Notice he's not even saying, like, work harder. He's saying, lean into love. Like, drink deeply of the love that I have demonstrated for you on the cross as I have loved you. And lean into ways of reflecting that out to the church community. So you must love one another. We are called into a life of love. And although it is harder and inconvenient, he is not calling us to dreariness, sadness, sorrow. He's calling us to a life of undiscovered joy. Like our maker understands who we are, how we're made, and how the fall into sin has affected us profoundly. So much so that the upside-down world seems right-side-up to us. And we think the path of happiness is self-indulgence. And he's saying, I know you better than you do. Trust me. The path to joy is a cross-bearing, Christ-following, laid-down-my-preference love for other believers. 
There is so much more that I wish I wanted to communicate to you. But I'll stop here and just call you to consider that the things that we may ask you to do, you can mark them out and just study them. Am I being called into convenience or godly sacrifice? And how do I walk with the rest of my church family forward in this? So graduates, every other kind of grouping and community is going to call out to you and it's going to feel awesome. And tucked in the corner with a small voice that's going to feel profoundly irrelevant is going to be a local church full of men and women who aren't cool and who are of different generations and have different everything. Follow the lead of your Lord towards that crowd and watch him do in you and among them what only his power can do. No marketing strategy, no best practices, no proven techniques. Nothing can make people who are so different love each other this profoundly except this presence and power of the spirit of the living God. So for your sake and his and theirs, go to church. Could you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this gathering of believers and the things that you've been doing in our lives as we listen to your word and come under its influence in the way we think and the way we respond. And we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Savior, and the love that you first showed us through him. And we pray that you would open our eyes to the various ways in which our preferences mark out the course of our lives and show us alternative pathways in which the otherworldly love that you have shown us in the gospel can be embodied in the choices we make, the big ones and the small ones. So please glorify your name this afternoon before we leave for the rest of this week. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we go, we want to invite some people to give testimony of the various things that God has been doing in their lives through a class that they've been involved in. So if you're part of the Owen's financial class. I just want to, or you guys want to come and introduce them to what they're doing? That'd be great. And after that, we will worship together in response.